Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we will survive physical death. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Today on our show, I'm pleased to introduce you to an old friend I have named Elaine Kuzmeskis. Elaine is the director of the New England School of Metaphysics and has been certified by the National Association of Spiritualist Churches as a medium. She's also an author of many books, including four books on mediumship, Seance 101, Physical Mediumship, The Making of a Medium, The Art of Mediumship, and her latest book, The Medium Who Baffled Houdini. Recently, she's been featured on Better Connecticut and the PBS show, Things That Go Bump in the Night. And most recently, she was on the worldwide radio show, Coast to Coast AM. Her website is theartofmediumship.com. And so now I'm pleased to introduce you to Elaine Kuzmeskis. Welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Oh, I'm so pleased to be on We Don't Die Radio. It's a great name for a radio program, too. Thanks. When I introduced you, I said my old friend, but I don't mean old age-wise. I mean that we met about 10 years ago at a mediumship course that we both took out in California. Well, I was, uh, it was actually at Omega. Oh, that's right. With uh, Tom and Lisa Butler. And, um, and it was a great class on electronic voice phenomena. Oh, Four I'm days. so sorry that I forgot that. It's a one if you remember. Tom and Lisa yeah. uh, flew out. They live in Reno, Nevada, and uh, they brought their other equipment and they taught us how to do electronic voice phenomena. And we both got EVPs. That's right. That's it was right. Very evidential. You know, Tom and Lisa have been working on this for quite a while, and I think their stories were so cute. One of the EVPs they got was uh, from Marilyn Monroe, and she said. Want to see a movie? Remember they played that That's for? right. That's right. You know, it's interesting, Elaine. I haven't talked about electronic voice phenomena yet on this show. And the first episode of this show, way back when, I talked about my own journey. And part of that was electronic voice phenomena. Mm-hmm. And for anybody who's a skeptic, which I was, and probably you were too, Elaine, it is recording the sound of nothing, like raindrops or they call it white noise or just static. And then when you play it back, voices appear. And as scary as this may sound, you know, there's a lot of humorous voices that come through, messages of love, and the scary stuff is usually just held for the movies. Um, But anyways, we can talk some about that. But if we can, Elaine, go back in time. Were you somebody as a young woman who was always interested in this kind of thing? Or how did you get your start into the world of... Uh, life after death. Well, I think like many uh, mediums, I was born with the gift of clairvoyance. So it was a natural gift I had as a child. And I would see my Hindu guy when I was in my crib. And he would talk to me and tell me things. And as I got a little older, he would give me predictions. Like he would tell me what my mother had packed for lunch that day or just things that were going on in the world. And I thought everybody could see spirit until I was about seven. I realized a lot of people did not see spirit around. So I became rather quiet. But then I kind of suppressed it for a while. And when I was about 18 or 19, I started to become more interested in psychic phenomena. And there was my Hindu guide again. And I was seeing colors and lights. 
Fortunately, by then, I read a book called The Sleeping Prophet by Jeff Stern, which is the story of Edgar Cayce. And it was on the New York Times bestsellers list in 1968. It was a very popular book. And when I read the uh, story of Edgar Cayce, it brought a great deal of relief because for the first time, I read about someone who saw auras, communicated with guides, and had psychic abilities, and was a perfectly normal person. So after that, I became interested in finding a teacher. It's not easy to find a mediumship teacher. No. It isn't. And I uh, I was brought to the teacher. I was up in Maine with a friend. In the back of a local newspaper was a two-by-one-inch ad that simply said, the first spiritualist uh, camp of Etna, Maine, was opening that afternoon at 2 p.m. So I said to my friend, do you mind if we stop? And he said, sure. So we went in. And as I went in, I saw this uh, grandmotherly-like lady, and I said to her, do you know any mediums? And she kind of smiled, and she said, yes, if you want an honest reading, go see Reverend William Ellis. I said, okay, where does he live? And she said, uh, she showed me where his uh, cottage was. And then I turned, and I said, well, how do you know he's honest? And she slowly smiled and said, I'm Mrs. Ellis. Oh, funny. Got my first reading and recommendation, and Bill Ellis was a fabulous medium. He was a great clairvoyant for the grand sum of five dollars. He my aura. He described my grandmother who had died twelve years before, and he told me someday I would be a medium. And of course, I was kind of laughing because I—that was the last thing on my mind. I had just received a certificate to teach English. Funny. And didn't say anything, but he looked at me and he said, Elaine, I know you don't believe me, but someday you will. And about eight years later, after I was certified as a medium, I met him again. And this time, I was the lead medium at Temple Heights Spiritualist Camp. I told him that story and we both laughed. Because spirit has a way of getting you into this field. Sometimes you're not always aware of all the turns in the road, but we knew that it was meant to be. He was a great medium, and I was very pleased to meet him. And then I went to Boston, where I was living, and I took some literature from the camp. And they said there was a developmental circle about two miles from where my apartment was wow. in my mass. It's pretty convenient, huh? Right. So I called uh, Reverend Kenneth Customs, and I said I was interested in um, developing psychic ability. And he suggested I sit in the circle with them a couple of times and see if I liked it which I did. I loved it. I stayed for three years. And at the end of three years, I took the test for mediumship. And um, there are two parts to it. One is a written exam. And the second is more what you call an oral exam. You go to a church where you know no one away from your community, and they judge you on your ability to identify spirits. That actually, for most people, is the hardest part because you never know what you're going to get. Are you standing in front of a group of people? Like yes, a congregation? it's a church. A church, yes, a group oh, of church people, gosh. but it's a church that you don't belong to and you're not associated with, away from your home church, and they have three or four mediums they put around the room to check your messages, and afterwards they ask people if your work was evidential, because the first principle of spiritualism is there is no death and there are no dead, and we are taught as mediums to bring through spirits in order to prove the continuity of life. Um, 
We also feel very strongly that we make our own happiness or unhappiness as we obey or disobey God's physical and spiritual laws. So we place a lot of emphasis on personal responsibility. That's a good thing. It is a very good thing. It's something being lost in today's world, I think. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. You can either be a victim or you'd be responsible and have like a great life. Absolutely. And when you take responsibility, you learn things about yourself and you grow. Mm-hmm. It's very important. Mm. So that's how I became a medium. And um, I started out just by doing work in the church. And then eventually more and more people wanted private sessions. So I opened um, an office in Suffield, Connecticut. And I've been working ever since. I've enjoyed it. And when I turned about, when I, my children were in high school, I decided to turn to another page and I started writing because I had been giving a lot of um, classes in the local community college on astrology, mediumship, parapsychology. Neat. And I had tons of notes. I thought I really should put them in a book and then the students wanted to take so many notes. So that was my first book was on astrology and it's Soul Cycles, Astrology 101, 500 pages. Oh, my gosh, that's a big book. It is. The reason it was 500 pages, I thought, this is so much work. I don't think I'll ever write another book. I'm going to have to put it all in. So I did. But then um, I was going to write a book on parapsychology. I had about 300 pages written, and I did exactly what the experts tell you not to do. I wrote the book before I got a publisher. And what happened was I started calling different publishers and shipper publisher called me and they asked me if I'd like to write a book on ghosts. And I thought, well, I don't know. I'm more interested in parapsychology. So I said, if I can put a third of it parapsychology, I'll do it. And that was my first book for Schiffer, which is Connecticut Ghosts. I had a lot of fun writing it because I had to get evidence. I had to do electronic voice phenomena, Mm -hmm. psychic photography. Wow. I had to learn to use an EMF meter, electromagnetic meter, in order to identify where spirit might be. And that led me to Seance 101 Physical Mediumship, which is about physical mediumship. So it's sort of one thing leads to another, I guess. Mm, I would love if you don't mind talking a little bit about physical mediumship. For me, in the horizon that I'm on, um, I'm currently set to go this Friday to the Arthur Finley College in the UK. Study. Oh, you love it. Oh, you've been, huh? Yeah, yes, I, I have. I was there about 10 years ago. Wow. I, I'm going to take a course on mediumship because for cool. me, I want to know one way or another. If I'm destined to be a medium, I want to be able to know the tools to be able to tap into it. Or if I'm not, then I can just rest my mind and, you know, <laughs> not think about it anymore. Um, but I'm going there. But I've also had some new Facebook friends that are physical mediums in the UK. And I've, mm-hmm. I, I, and I just, it's kind of mind-blowing what physical mediumship is. And I know before we started this call, you said um, EVPs are a form of physical mediumship. But there's also, you know, I've ne- I-, I had witnessed on some videos um, about physical mediumship, about, you know, people actually coming through and, and things appearing. And- well, you know, we just past weekend, my husband and I were up in Lilydale at um- – Right outside of Lilydale, we went to see a physical medium by the name of Warren Kaler, uh, who's very well known in the UK, and he did a fantastic physical seance in which we got apports. Do you know what an apport is? Um, I do, but I don't know if everybody does, so you can definitely share that. 
sure Apport's aware uh, spirit materializes a small object. Uh, Warren brings through uh, crystals. And in the seance we went to, he brought through a three-inch purple amethyst crystal. And it, it comes through his mouth. Sometimes it comes, uh, it materializes in the room. And it was a wonderful seance because during the seance, they had um, drumsticks for to play the drum. And they were painted white. You could see them move in the dark seance when they tapped out a tune. They had trumpets flying around. And it was a, a very evidential seance. And then they allowed me to sit in front of the seance chair in the cabinet, and I could feel the hands of spirit tap me on the right shoulder and the left shoulder. It was amazing. It really was amazing. Can you describe what what the room of a... Because, so, again, my subtitle of my book is A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. So when I first heard of EVP recordings, I thought there's no possible way that a voice can come out of a tape recorder. And lo and behold, I've got hundreds and hundreds of examples of it. So I know that's real. But to Mm -hmm. my skeptical mind, it was like, come on, no way. So when I first started reading about physical mediumship and seeing the videos on YouTube, I thought, without a doubt, this is a hoax. Like it can't be because it's a dark room. The medium is actually strapped down in a in a cabinet, right? And mm-hmm. um, and I don't know too much more, but I know that um, things appear. The room is dark. People feel people's faces and tapping on them. There's what? voices. Can you just describe? Because from what I am gathering, and again, I feel like I'm on an adventure as a discoverer. You know, is it real? Mm-hmm. Or isn't it real? And I'm well, sure there's lots of hoaxes. But what happens yeah. in a physical medium room? Because Elaine, I don't. I'm sure you know there are some hoaxes out there. Definitely, but the the couple gentlemen that I have um, focused upon and that I'm I'm learning from right now, it's like I I get goosebumps. Like that's the real deal. Um, oh, so yeah, will you explain what it what a seance in a physical mediumship well, uh, would, would be like? Because I know there's music played and I think oh, right. well, a physical uh, seance is done in complete darkness with a red light. Why and, um, will you talk about why? Because. Um, Ectoplasm, which needed is needed to move the objects, will fade or become disrupted under white light. Okay. So the medium will use red light or they'll use a candlelight. And it is true. I say that many times physical mediumship is the hardest to obtain and the easiest to fake. Unfortunately, there are a lot of fake physical mediums. Right. But they're genuine ones, too. Yeah. And a genuine physical medium often sits for many years, like Stuart Alexander did, or um, Warren Kaler, David Thompson, uh, Kai Mugi, uh, and Reverend Hoyt Ravenetta, some of the finest physical mediums we have. Um, and I've seen them, I've seen all except David Thompson work. I'd like to see him. He's in England. I'm going to see him in November. Oh, you have to tell me how you like I him. will. I will. Yes, but. Is he coming to the United States? Or he is he... not. Sandra's no. making a trip. Uh, you're going to England? Yes. Yeah, because I wish he'd come to the United States. But anyway, a physical medium goes into trance, what's called dead trance. It's like being under anesthesia. Okay. And while they're under, in dead trance, the spirit will extrude ectoplasm, and the ectoplasm wraps around the trumpet 
features an aluminum cone, and through that trumpet you hear the voice of spirit. Now, one of the most fabulous of the physical mediums was the late Marjorie Crandon, and I was so taken by her that I, I wrote her biography, and it just came out. It's called The Medium Who Baffled Houdini. And Marjorie Crandon was unique in that she was just a natural physical medium. She really didn't train. Um, she uh, very early on had the gift of table tipping and then the gift of trance mediumship. And then she had the gift of psychokinesis, where objects would move in the room. That's wild. Isn't it? And this was in the 1920s. And at the time, she really didn't want money, and she didn't want fame. She was married to a very wealthy um, doctor, and she did not want people to know that she was a medium. So in the beginning, she went under the name of Marjorie the Medium, when her real name was Mrs. Uh, Minna Cranston. And Marjorie was so good, and this is hard to believe, that in one seance, her guide, Walter, even brought through flowers as apples, and all the ladies, who's on Valentine's Day, received a flower fresh from the spirit world. Isn't that wonderful? Yellow roses. That is cool. Yeah, I just want to jump in just a second, Elaine. Um, again, my my mind right now is as deep as I am into life after death stuff is saying like, oh, I can't believe you're talking about physical mediumship. People are going to think you're crazy. This can't be. Mm-hmm. You've turned into one of those wild paranormal shows that you didn't want to become. But that so that's you know we all have a voice that's saying negative stuff and that's just what mine's saying but it's not here's the thing um we are living in such a miraculous world and again like elaine said in the beginning there it is an open realm for con artists and fakes in this because you can just imagine this dark room of course people are going to uh make things happen and there's a lot of people that are good at sleight of hand but i've the you mentioned david thompson and there's also a, a young man named scott milligan in the uk and mm-hmm. from a lot of the things i've read and uh, even victor zamet who's an attorney that um, studies the afterlife he says they are two authentic physical mediums that he's actually worked with and the thing is is that the they're held in like whether retreat center wherever this seance is held people actually explore the room to make sure that there there's no shenanigans happening right absolutely yeah yeah. i mean it's a safe space these mediums are not out uh getting tons of money i mean it's you know a lot of these things are just worked on donations and very few people know about them and from what i gather uh the room is searched the mediums are 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 strapped down i'm not exactly sure what that's all about Maybe you can shed some light, but there's some... Well, they, they do. They strap them into a chair. They shackle their legs. They put a gag in their mouth. Oh, my God. That sounds so prove. scary. Well, no. The mediums do this because they want to prove that it is indeed physical yeah. phenomena. That it's not ventriloquism. Oh, that makes perfect sense. It makes right. perfect sense. And then the I, I've heard that there's music played or there's some way to raise the energy in the room. Well... Of course, we want high energy, so people sing songs like You Are My Sunshine or Jingle Bells, happy songs. And it serves the purpose of unifying the energy and helping the medium 
to um, be lifted up. Now, in Marjorie's case, they were so meticulous about controls that they strapped her into a chair, and her husband even used a blue pencil to make a marking. So if she even moved a quarter of an inch, you would see it on the adhesive. Really? And they, they checked and rechecked to make sure that she didn't move. Yeah. And she was a good sport about it because, you know, it's not all that comfortable being strapped in. No, and it can't be. I've, difficult. I've seen pictures of these mediums being strapped in. I thought, oh, what's that about? But that makes perfect sense. So if you hear voices and you, I, I mean, there's been, you know, I know some people that are very close to me that have been to a couple of these seances and they actually have had, say, someone and their loved one is uh, deceased and who had a slight beard. You know, they'll feel the the bearded face against their face they'll feel the hands of their grandmother that they they can recognize like their voices like these things that just seem so impossible are possible and then you mentioned airports that things airports come through yes come through have you ever been to a direct voice say until you actually speak to spirit no well i've been to two one was recently at warren taylor's in casadega and also Reverend Hoyt Robinette, I've been to two of his direct voice seances, and it's amazing because everyone in the room can hear the voice of spirit, not just you, but everyone can. And uh, in Warren Taylor's one, we had a wonderful talk by Winston Churchill, and it sounded like Winston Churchill, and he spoke for about 10 minutes, which I thought was very evidential. Uh, with Reverend Hoyt Robinette, uh, several people came through, the different members of this uh, group. And in my case, um, I was very pleased to, to hear an ascended master, Moya, came through one. And also a great healer, Harry Edwards, came to another seance. And everyone could hear the voice and you could talk to the spirit just as we are talking. Now, these are very rare phenomena mm-hmm. and people have to really sit for many years to develop physical mediumship. That's why in uh, the medium who baffled Houdini, the story of Marjorie Crandon, it is so unique because she went very quickly from table tipping. Have you ever done table tipping? No. No, I have not. Odd. Well, her husband was a doctor, and he wanted to see if there were any truth to it, so he had an experiment. And Marjorie and her husband and two other uh, couples sat at a table. And it was interesting. The table began to shake. Now, I've done a lot of table tipping and started to move. So one by one, each a person got up and left the room. At, at first, the doctor got up, and then Axe Cross got up, and then Kitty got up, and her husband got up, another person. And the last person to get up from the table was Marjorie. And when she got up, the table stopped rocking. So they knew she was the physical medium. Hmm. And so that was a good test. And then her table tipping progressed where the table started to move across the room. <coughs> I've had that happen myself when it gets up on one leg. I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. And you know you're not moving it. Because you've got like one finger on it and it's moving. And it has intelligence. Because you can actually get a code going. You can get it to go like to the right for yes or to the left for no. Now, what's happening? Is it our friends in the hereafter that are moving the table and answering these questions? Absolutely. And it takes a while and it takes practice, but you can use it as a form of communication. 
Mm. I talked to uh, a, a couple of ladies on episode 94 that do a lot of table tipping. Uh, they're all mm-hmm. mediums and they have a, um, they offer workshops and stuff in New Orleans and they, they were talking about table tipping and I'm thinking, I, you know, I'm, it's funny because I'm okay with what comes through in my mind and maybe some voices, but I've never seen things move. <laughs> well, I bet at seances, one with Kanye with a table, what, about three feet in the air, levitated completely. Now, that's rare, but it can happen. Well, Marjorie started with table tipping, and then her husband uh, wanted her to go into trance. Well, now, Marjorie was a very extroverted person. She was like a flapper. She did not want to become a trance medium. But he said, uh, little sister will do as big brother tells her, and she did go into trance very quickly. And when she was in trance, uh, the voice of her deceased brother, Walter, came through. And Walter began to talk through Marjorie, and he began to direct the seances. Can you imagine? Nope. A spirit in charge of a seance. And he had them do all kinds of very interesting things to prove that spirit was in the room. At one point, he had them get uh, some soft paraffin wax and some cold water. And during the seance, spirits would put their fingerprints on the paraffin wax, and then afterwards they would put it in cold water and harden them, and they actually got the fingerprints of spirit, which is quite unique. They uh, they had different forms of apports that came through the trumpet, uh, gemstones, uh, jewelry, uh, flowers. And they began to really attract a lot of attention. A man by the name of Malcolm Bird wrote a book called Marjorie the Medium. And at the same time, uh, the scientific community was very interested in proving life after death. Uh, Scientific America, which is a very popular magazine, Uh had a contest. And they were going to give $2,500 to any medium that could prove life after death. Isn't that neat? It's a lot of money in the Uh, 1920s. A lot of money back then. And uh, several mediums were tested. And Marjorie was deemed the most talented. Uh, Marjorie, since she was independently wealthy, said she would not accept the prize, which was double to 5000 She said she would not accept it, but that she would allow herself to be tested. And about this time, Houdini, Harry Houdini, the great magician and the great skeptic, mm-hmm. heard about this. And so he decided that he wanted to get in on it. And he wrote a letter to the committee to let them know he was interested. And, of course, uh, they were honored to have Houdini on the committee. And Houdini decided from the get-go that Marjorie Grandin was a fake. So he designed a box for her to sit in during the seance. And it was a very cumbersome wooden box, very uncomfortable the test seances were given in August of 1924, and it was the hottest summer on record. So poor Marjorie, without the aid of air conditioning, was stuck in this box, and yet she still she still produced a fair amount of phenomena. Um, one of the first things they did was they just had a test seance at her house, and during the test seance, they were sitting around the table, in the dark, and the trumpet levitated. And they could hear the voice of Walter, her spirit guide, 
saying, where would you like me to go? And Houdini said, over here. And the trumpet did a nosedive at his feet. Walter from the get-go did not like Houdini. And it was a battle between the spirit of Walter to control the seances and the presence of Harry Houdini, which made it a very interesting pairing of the two. Oh, I I read somewhere that Houdini was friends with Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes, and then uh, Arthur turned into spiritualism and into the whole mystical world, and that ended their friendship. Is that true? Something like that? Yes, it is. Well, they were very good friends in the beginning, so much so that uh, the Houdinis invited Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and his wife to New York and entertained them. And during this time, uh, Houdini was very interested in communicating with the spirit of his deceased mother. You know, Harry Houdini was really a mama's boy. He was. Yeah. And he was devastated when his mother died. He, he was in, uh, I believe, in Europe. He canceled all his performances, came home immediately, and was guilt-ridden that he wasn't with her on her deathbed. Mm, wow. Never really overcame that. I can understand it's difficult not to be with someone you love when they die, especially if they're as close as Houdini was to his mother. So he searched constantly, and he found fake medium after fake medium. Well, Mrs. Conan Doyle was a medium, so Sir Arthur suggested that she do a seance and see if um, uh, Houdini's mother would come through. And she did come through, but not the way that Houdini expected it. She called uh, she called him Harry, which was not to uh, Eric, because she never called him Harry. His real name was Eric, and she always called him Eric. Unfortunately, that that was not good. And then she brought a message. And at first he was thrilled, and then he thought about it, and he thought, well, this was not a true message from his mother, and he said that he didn't believe it was true. Hmm. And that was what caused the rift between Harry Houdini and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Because, of course, Sir Arthur felt his wife was giving a very good seance and that she brought through evidence. Right. And he just could never accept the criticism. Uh, and Harry Houdini wanted to be friends, but he was very skeptical, and he was not going to back down one tiny inch. So they, they uh, the friendship suffered a great deal. But, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a wonderful researcher. He researched many mediums, including the physical medium Florence Cook. Hmm. Uh, yes, he did. He, he, he really did, uh, had a very strong interest in uh, different mediums. And um, he came into it because his son had been killed during um, World War One, And he had a very evidential reading from a medium that absolutely proved that his um, son came to the spirit world. That's great. So uh, what happened with Marjorie and Houdini? Well, when they had the test seances, things were okay. Arthur, uh, her guide, Walter, came through and he brought some messages. And nothing spectacular, but she did prove that she could do uh, direct voice and could, could bring through messages. And then they had like, uh, I think it was like the second or third uh, seance, they had some disruption, the second seance. And Walter began swearing. Now, Walter could swear like a trooper. You wouldn't believe the language on this spirit. And he started yelling and screaming at Houdini. And he said, how dare you try to trick Marjorie? You planted a ruler under her cushion. Now, they stopped the seance. They opened this cumbersome cabinet. 
Marjorie had to get out of treads, and there under the cushion she was sitting on was a folding roller. Wow. Now, Houdini swore on his mother's grave that he didn't do it. And, of course, Dr. Cranon and Marjorie said they would no way cheat. So this kind of left a very negative feeling in the air. Many years later, in 1958, Jim Collins, who was Houdini's devoted assistant, said that he had planted the ruler. But it came out too late to really help Marjorie because she died in 1941. But it did put a tremendous skepticism in the room. Yeah, of course. And and they weren't really speaking with Houdini very much. So the seances were not particularly good. Uh, they weren't up to par. And as a result... Houdini became even more skeptical and tried to do uh, programs. Well, he did. He did programs on Broadway where he would make fun of mediums such as Marjorie. And Marjorie and her husband took the high road, and they decided to do a college program uh, to prove that there was such a thing as physical medium. And Dr. Crandon got the very best experts to come to the United States to do a program um, to prove and look at the evidence in terms of mediumship. And it was really a pretty good program. Um, I actually read some of the notes from it. I was very impressed on how hard they worked, how the scientists worked. But still, it was hard. It was hard after Houdini ruined her reputation for Marjorie to really get the momentum back that she had. Mm. Elaine, um, from what I've read, physical mediumship started back in the 1800s and it had its heyday and then it kind of disappeared. And all the life after death stuff that I've been researching for so long, it's only just recently that I'm hearing about physical mediumship. Why is it so rare? Well, it's very rare because it takes so long to develop. And how many people are going to sit in a circle for 15 years to develop a gift? Very few. So people want more instant uh, phenomena. But it is to uh, spiritualism began with physical mediumship with the Raps of the Fox Sisters in uh-huh. High New York. And it was an intelligent rap. The Raps would answer questions like one rap for yes, two raps for no, three raps for maybe. And these little girls were like 11 and 13, and their mother didn't believe them. So Mrs. Fox asked the spirit, how many children do I have? And it wrapped out six times. Now, she had four living children, but she had two in spirit, so she did have six. So it gave intelligent answers. Uh, And that was the beginning of spiritualism. And in the beginning, there was a lot of physical phenomena uh, that people saw. They did table tipping. They did direct voice where spirit spoke, trumpet mediumship, and it really reached its heyday in the 1920s. And especially after World War I, many people wanted to communicate with their loved ones they'd lost during the war. Of course. And as mediumship became more and more popular and demand became greater, people saw the opportunity to make money on it, and that's when we had a tremendous number of people fake mediumship. In fact, it was so bad at one time, Sandra, they actually had catalogs for people to buy equipment to fake fingerprints and writing and slate writing, etc. And as a result of that, physical mediumship went out of vogue. And at um, 
In Lilydale, for example, they no longer allow physical phenomena because they felt it was too much of it was fake. But it's starting to come back. I think it's coming back because it is a very good way to give evidence that spirit is in the room. And some of the younger people just love all aspects of it, especially the newer aspects, psychic photography and electronic voice phenomena. Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating. I, I'm i excited to see David Thompson and Scott Milligan, and there's some other folks there as well. Just, I mean, I'm the type, if if I see it, I tend to... Have, there's a chance that I can believe it. That's why I took the EVP course with you. That's why I took the, my first mediumship course. Because I, re- I really, you know, I want to believe, but then it's like, oh, I got to see it to believe it. But this is a good time to just remind all of the skeptic voices that are going through our heads. Because, you know, mine still keeps coming up like, oh, I can't believe you're talking about this. Right now I'm in my bedroom and I want everybody to pick something that you are looking at right now. Something that you can actually see and touch. So everybody pick something. You who's listening, I'm talking to you. And take a look at it. So I'm I'm actually looking at a a book on my on my bookshelf. Okay. So we can see it, we can touch it. It's got weight, all that stuff. If we go into science and quantum physics and we break down the book say into its smallest particle i mean there's molecules and inside the molecules there's atoms and there's protons and neutrons electrons all those things but anything that right now that we can see or touch if we were to put a teeny tiny camera into one of the atoms inside of your thing there it it wouldn't film anything. All that's happening in any object that we see right now is just empty space and, and something vibrating. They call them uh, quarks and st- strings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are living in a world that we think is very, very much real because we can see things, we can hear things. But what what's really going on is a lot of energy bouncing around. So... I, I just ask each of us to just question our reality. And, and it's so easy to think that, you know, we're alone on planet Earth. There's no other planets that have life on them, that life after death can't be real. I, and if you were to take yourself back maybe 150 years and show somebody an iPhone or a tablet or something like that, it would be so futuristic. Like it can't possibly be, you know, and we are living in a miraculous times and the way our brains are developed is the stuff that's so miraculous around us they just become no big deal to us it's just regular television Mm -hmm. is just regular gps's are just uh, regular the fact elaine you and i are talking and i'm on a cordless computer right now and we're not connected by cords as miraculous as that is it's like oh yeah that's just wi-fi no big deal It is. It's a huge deal. So this is just the perfect, the only reason I wanted to bring this up is we, we can't listen to what our minds say. You know, our minds are filled with disempowering things to keep us locked in. I think, I think to the illusion that we're just human. You know, we can't have our dreams come true. We're certainly not special. We're not lovable. Nope. It's, it's too good to be true. Thinking life after death is real. That's all nonsense. Don't listen to your voice. If you find passion in this, you just keep going after it because it is real and your loved ones are around you and you have an invisible network of of people that are are here being your champion so that you have a great life okay i'm off my um my soapbox 
But I had oh, to I had to throw that in. I did. That's a good point, Sandy. In 1926, Edgar Casey said one day scientists would be able to take a drop of blood and predict all your illnesses. Isn't that true? Don't we all take blood tests today and they yeah. tell us what illnesses are? That day they thought he was crazy, and now it's just normal. Hey, I spit in a little cup, and I could tell my uh, genealogy and my DNA, and I've matched up with cousins and i mean i found out my history and, and that's amazing it is it amazing is. It's very see. amazing amazing but you know this idea of life after death has been present since biblical times in ancient egypt and ancient greece go back to the delphi oracle the delphi oracle was one of the most revered person in the ancient world wow. and all the great leaders would go for her predictions so this is really ancient knowledge we're rediscovering. Mm. Now, are, do we all have it? Do we all have the, I don't, I don't know if I want to call it a gift, but can we all tap into psychic and, and that kind of ability? I think we all have some psychic ability. And Carl Jung said there were four ways we think. One is rational thought, direct physical sensation. One is emotional and one is intuition. We all have some intuition, just as we all have some artistic ability. But some of us will be drawing stick figures and others will become Picasso. You know, it varies. And the thing that will help people to develop their intuition, there are two very good ways. One is to pay attention to your dreams. Because most people are very intuitive in the dream state, if you could write them down. Uh, In fact, I wrote a book on this called Dream Zone and helping people develop psychic dreams and interpret them and the second is a wonderful thing called meditation because as you quiet your mind even for 10 minutes it helps you to develop an intuitive connection and it's a very safe way to develop dreams and meditation we hear about meditation a lot but i'm guilty as anybody that i don't make it a daily practice well, it's it's like prayer. If you you know, you know, we go to church on Sunday, or we have certain times of the week that we're involved with spiritual activities. It should be a regular practice because you'll not only feel better, but they it has been proven that meditation lowers blood pressure, helps people with psychosomatic ailments, and it brings more peace into your life. And we've known this since the 1960s with the work of Dr. Herbert Benson mm-hmm. called the relaxation response. That's right. Forgot Very all about that. Elaine, where's your passion right now? What are you up to? What do you love sharing or doing? Or uh, Well, I guess my passion is going more toward the physical mediumship. I, I've been a mental medium. That's a person that uses clairvoyance, clairaudience, and clairsentience to communicate. And I've, I've done a lot of trance work. Uh, in fact, about uh, 12 years ago, I went to the Arthur Finley College and I studied to be a trans medium. And I've enjoyed did. that tremendously. Yes, I did. It was a great experience. Muriel Tennant was our tutor and we had 12 people in the class. And the very first class, we got up in groups of three and we were told to meditate, which is just a natural for me. And since I also do Reiki, I started sending out my Reiki symbols to bless the group. Well, I didn't know, but Muriel was tweeting into us while we were meditating. And she actually, you know, gave us a little synopsis of what she picked up. And she came to me and she said, Alay, what are those squiggly lines? And so I sheepishly said, well, 
Mrs. Tennant, I was sending Reiki signals out. She goes, don't do that. When you meditate, just leave your your, uh, mind blank. You are to be blank and allow spirit to come in. So after that, I was very careful to have a blank mind. when I That's funny that she got that. She was good. She was a crack clairvoyant, and she was good. And uh, we spent a, a whole week, every day, about six hours a day doing trance work, and you learn a great deal. I really enjoyed it. So have you brought through people on your own sitting in trance? Yes, I have. I've brought through uh, Reverend Arthur Ford. Elwood Babbitt has come through a few times. Uh, my guide, White Cloud, comes through the most. He's an American Indian. And, uh, you know, I, I feel it's very important. Trance work is very important uh, because you're allowed to own spirit to directly speak to the group and they speak with their own intelligences and their own voices. Um, I also, so I've done uh, mental mediumship and trance and we at the New England School of Metaphysics, we have a cabinet group that works on table tipping, uh, cabinet, which is you sit in a spirit cabinet and we do transfiguration of spirit. Again, it's a dark room with just a red light and you use a spirit cabinet or closet to collect the ectoplasm and then the face of spirit transfigures over you. So that's what I've been doing. That's my new thing. Wait a minute. Say that again. So people are looking at you and there's a red light on you and spirit actually manipulates this ectoplasm. So your face looks different. Yes, it does. And, and this is, you asked what I was doing. That was new. That's my latest thing. I've been doing this for about, uh, eight or nine years, so I've been doing the spirit cabinet mediumship, Holy and I find cow. it very evidential. Yes, people enjoy that. So, and I also am very um, happy to do uh, psychic photography. That's another thing that I'm uh, continuing to work on. And the more you develop your gifts of the spirit, whether it's physical or a mental mediumship, I think they all work together to prove the continuity of life. Mm. Do you still offer medium readings if somebody calls you? And- yes, I do. I do phone readings. Uh, if people want to get in touch with me, they can call 860-668-0373. I'm booked about six weeks in advance, but I do readings over the phone. Mm, that's not too bad. I know some yes. people that are over a year to wait for them, well, so that's Very good. popular, yes. And I also do classes. We'll be starting new classes uh in September, we offer the Basics of Mediumship program, which is four Saturdays. And then we do classes. We just, uh, right now we're doing medical uh, mediumship, in, which is uh, basically health intuition, clairvoyance, and working with um, the spirit doctor. So we're doing that as a group. What's a spirit do doctor? Wait, you just, you're throwing things out like I know them. Well, I'm like, spirit doctor? Yes, I, I work with different spirit doctors that come through. Dr. Cathcart is one. And we train people to use their intuition, clairvoyance, and also for our more advanced students, they get in touch with their spirit doctors through trance. So that's what we focused on this year, which is good. The year before, we did slate writing. Have you ever heard of slate writing? Nope. This is so much fun. You take two children's slates and you place a little sliver of chalk, and then you wrap it in a black cloth, and you meditate. And you often have to meditate several times over a period of uh, a few weeks, and you get spirit faces and drawings. Isn't that neat? 
Are your hands actually on the on the um, piece of cloth? No, not at all. In fact, we everybody has to put their wrapped black slates in the center of the room. Nobody touches them. And then you open them up, and there's pictures on them. Well, they're not. Yeah, they're small or little there's something. Yeah. Um, the first drawing I got was a stick figure of an American Indian with his hands up to a cloud. And I thought that was very evidential because my American Indian guide is white cloud. So I thought that was good. We've gotten faces of bearded people or American Indians. And they're, 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 they're the beginning. Now, the really good old-time uh, slate writers, they would get writing, like Fred Evans, for example. He got writing on his slate in 12 different languages. Wow. I talk about that in Seance 101, Physical Phenomena. He's one of the mediums that I investigated. Uh, and he was, a, he was from England, but he lived in San Francisco. He was a sailing man. He ended up in San Francisco and stayed there. Uh, and his uh, slate writing is amazing. The I'm messages. so excited to listen to you because not only are you intro- introducing us to some new stuff, but I can hear it in your voice, your passion. Oh, I am. I enjoy it all. I, oh, I, I can tell. The work. Yes. And, and you're having fun at it. Mm-hmm. And what do you think, from everything that you've learned, is the point of us being here on planet Earth? If there is this world of the hereafter that we get to go to, um, w- what's the point of doing this now here on Earth? I guess I can only answer it from my perspective. That's, and that I works. feel, for me... The point of being here is to really show people that we exist beyond the change called death. And I feel very strongly that people are beginning to wake up. They're beginning to understand there's more than what science tells us. And I think as individuals begin to their journey or their search within, they're going to not only connect with the higher spiritual forces, but with the higher philosophy of life, which if you if you look at the ancient Greeks, what did they teach us? Know thyself, right? Yeah. As our prime reason for being here. Wow. And I would say, for me, I feel it's to help other people to know themselves as well as uh, to show the continuity of life. It's very important. Mm. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a definitely a believer in obviously life after death, but that life is important for us to to grow, to learn. And mm-hmm. I if I had a magic wand, I would wave it over every single person listening right now that you know who you truly are, Ooh. that you get that you're not the little voice inside of your head, that mm-hmm. you really understand you're this infinite soul here having a human experience some people say that there's souls in heaven like waiting in line to come to earth and like this is the place that we is juicy and we get to grow and we get to learn and and i know things can be hard but just that each and every single person really finds themselves and then gosh listening to you elaine find your passion whatever it is it doesn't have to be in life after death world it could be in plants it could be in anything but find that passion and and the best expression of learning is sharing it and teaching others and giving it away and and making a difference in someone else's life you know so that everybody feels that sense of fulfillment you know Zig Ziglar has a quote that's something like the way to have your dreams come true is to help 
other people have their dreams come true. It really is about finding your passion and sharing it. So I'll send out a little blessing and magic wand to just everybody listening that today's the day you get some aha moment as to really what you're passionate about, what gives you joy, you know, what what you want to explore and, and how you can give and help others. Elaine, our time's going by fast. Is there anything we haven't covered or that some closing words, something that you're just burning to share? Bring it well, on, I sister. Think, I think it's just very important for people to believe, uh, to believe in themselves, to believe there is a higher world. Mm-hmm. and to believe in the divine power that is around us every day if we'll but listen and open our eyes. I think that's very important. Yeah, there certainly is, isn't there? It's within us, it's around us, it's in everything. Mm-hmm. Whether you call it God, the universe, whatever, that there is something. Something and- higher than ourselves. And I think as we begin to acknowledge that higher power, this is what brings us forward in life. Mm. And it can bring a lot of fun. And, and Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think that joy is very important to enjoy your life. Yeah. Well, one last thing. It's just coming up into my mind. Speaking of joy, there's a lot of us that want things or they want want our life to be a little different. Can you just maybe say something about joy and feeling grateful for something even if we might not have it? Well, I I believe in abundance. And abundance comes in many forms. It could be abundance in terms of family, friends, material success. And I think that that really the more we think positively, the more we bring abundance into our lives. A lot of us don't feel we're worthy of the good things of life, but we are. It's just a matter of beginning to, to live our lives in a more spiritual way. Yeah, yep. Thank you. Yeah, we don't need to listen to that voice that we're not worthy. We really don't need to say, yes, I am. Yeah, we yes, are I all am. divine children of God. I'll yeah. leave that thought with you. That's perfect. Well, Elaine Kuzmeskis has been our guest on this past hour or so on We Don't Die Radio. Elaine, thank you from the bottom my of my pleasure. heart. You brought me a big smile today, and then I've also made lots of notes. I'm going to go Google slate writing and Fred Evans. Oh, absolutely. And if you go to my website, uh, www.theartofmediumship, mm-hmm. and go to the very last tab, I have a lot of free videos on my lectures on physical mediumship and some of the psychic phenomena that your listeners might like to watch. Yeah, I'll check that out too. And um, for Mm -hmm. our listener today, thank you for taking the time in your day and making this important. I can't tell you how many emails I've been getting lately. Lots of people listening to every single episode and it's just amazing. Um, These are all free, obviously. You don't have to buy anything. I I encourage you to listen and follow your passions and share if you feel like you want to do that, um, you can go to we don't die radio.com and check out all the other episodes. We're rapidly approaching a hundred episodes, which is very, very cool. And also if you go to we don't die radio.com and click on the insiders club, I have something there called how to survive grief. I know there's a lot of listeners that have lost a loved one and it's just an audio that lasts 70 minutes. It talks about why we have to grieve, how you're feeling, things to help ease the pain. And also, you can read a couple free chapters of my book, which is called We Don't Die. And if you want to write to me, it's Sandra at SandraChamplain.com. You can 
do that as well. So in closing, my name is Sandra Champlain, and I've been your host on this fascinating episode of We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for our souls and that your life here on Earth is important. So thanks for listening. Make it a great day, and we'll see you soon.